Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So we're going to continue today. There are actually two weeks left in our summer series uh, through the Psalms called Sacred Songs. The Psalms in the Old Testament were written to be sung in worship by Israel, and we're looking at a different one each week. So we're going to look at Psalm 131 today. Before we open God's Word, let me ask you a question. I want you to turn to somebody beside you and think of three to five answers to this question. What are some of the things that Americans have? Not necessarily every American, but we as Americans, things we have, it might be like good roads or something. Uh, But just think about it. What are some of the things that Americans have? Talk about that just for a minute, and then we'll uh, let you share that. So, Corey, if you'll be ready to help with that. What are some of the things Americans have? All right. So let's share, we obviously welcome not only personally, but those on the live stream, and uh, we're going to ask people here in the congregation just to kind of popcorn some of those things. Corey is in the the middle, and he will repeat what you say, uh, just to make sure that everybody here can hear it, but also, um, since he has a mic, those on the live stream will be able to hear it. So uh, let's start kind of over here on this side. Uh, what, What are some of the things that Americans have? Freedom. Freedom of religion, wealth, cars, money, entitlement. Great pastors, is that what somebody said? Uh, (laughs) I thought I heard that, maybe. Freedom to travel, advanced technology, education, medicine, abundant food, guns. Chick-fil-A, <laughs> freedom of speech, individualism. So, all right, thank you. That's good. So we, we really obviously could go on a, a long time of things we have as Americans, things that we take for granted often, like maybe even clean water, right? The reason why I ask that question is it sets up Psalm 131 because here is the background of this psalm. As Americans, we have almost everything. You think about all the things we could have said that we have as Americans. We have so many things as Americans. We have almost everything except the most important things. Some of the most important things in life Americans typically don't have. And one of them is described in this psalm, and that is contentment. Psalm 131 is a psalm of contentment. So let's, let's read it together. A song of ascents of David. Now, song of ascents was as the people of Israel gathered for worship, they went up to the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, to worship at one of the festivals, the great festivals, they would sing and say these psalms to each other. This was one of them. David wrote it, and it was on for that occasion. And he said, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters 
or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Now, this psalm is about a quiet heart. And it talks about the journey that we take to get a quiet heart or contentment. Now, before I start, let me qualify in this way. When I say a quiet heart, I'm not talking about necessarily a quiet demeanor or a quiet personality. Someone could be very introverted and very shy, very quiet, but their heart could be all jumbled up and striving and anxious and worried and, and trying to achieve. So we're not talking about a quiet personality. We're talking about a quiet heart today. What does it take? I just want to really ask and answer a couple of questions from this psalm today. And the first one is, what is required to have a quiet heart? And then we're going to ask, well, what's the result of having a quiet heart? What, is it, what does it look like if you do have a quiet heart? So here's the first question. What is required to have a quiet heart? And as we walk through this psalm, we'll see some of the things that are required. And the first one is humility. Humility, verse 1. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, this psalm only has three verses. In fact, multiple people have asked me this week, well, Jerry, if the psalm only has three verses, does that mean the sermon is going to be shorter? And I had to think long and hard, and I said, I have a short answer for that. No. <laughs> and they were, they were so happy when I said that. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said, this is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms to learn. Humility. Humility. My heart is not proud. David begins with the heart's. The heart is the center of everything. It's the center of all that we are. Our, we can see the external. We can see the material. We can't see what's going on in the immaterial. But what's inside of you, this very center of your personality in the Bible is your heart. It's the real you. It's mind, soul, and spirit. The heart And David says, my heart is not pride. The heart, if there's pride in the heart, it will affect everything. William Van Gimmeren says, the proud person looks, compares, competes, and is never content. He plans and schemes in his heart as to how he can outdo and outperform. Now, the rest of the verse, the rest of verse 1 tells us what that really looks like. It gives us some 
pictures of what pride might be, the opposite of humility. My eyes, first he says, my heart is not proud. And then he says, my eyes are not haughty. The first expression, my heart is not proud, is kind of like how you view yourself. But then my eyes are not haughty is how do you look at others? How do you look at others? Uh, the biblical expression for, for being proud or looking down on someone would be that your eyes would be lifted up or your eyes would be haughty. So, for instance, Proverbs 30, verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. So the original language of verse 1 that's translated here in the NIV as my eyes are not haughty reads my eyes are not lifted up. Um, and it's, again, it's a kind of a similar expression today. We might say somebody, oh, they, they look down their nose at people. So like a picture like this, somebody who's, you know, kind of looking at people in a certain way. So humility is what you think about yourself, but it's also what you think about others. Do you look down on them as being inferior in any way? Well, the verse continues. David says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, remember, the author of this psalm is David. So it's interesting that he would write these words. I do not concern myself with great matters or too wonderful for me because David was a king. David was a very powerful person, the most powerful person in Israel. There was wealth, there was power. And yet he says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I think it may go back to some experiences in David's life when this very thing happened, when he refused to step beyond, when he refused to say, this is a great matter and I'm going to grab it. So for instance, we remember David kept sheep and he was anointed to become the next king of Israel. And the current king of Israel was an evil king named Saul. And Saul was jealous of David. In fact, Saul tried to kill David on more than one occasion. And so there's a, there's a season in David's life, early in his life, where David's on the run. You read about this in 1 Samuel. David's on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. And so 1 Samuel chapter 24 is one of the instances in which David, although he is the one that's being hunted, he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. He could have just said, I'm going to take matters in my own hand. I'm going to take care of Saul now. Saul took 3,000 men, 3,000 men to pursue David. And... First Samuel 24 tells us about David and his men had taken refuge in a cave and Saul went in the cave to relieve himself. And while he's in there, David and his men snuck up on him and cut off a corner of his robe. 
And then David left the cave and he said to Saul, Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my own hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Two chapters later, 1 Samuel 26, there's another instance where this same similar scenario happens. David has another opportunity Saul is pursuing David. David's not trying to harm Saul in any way. Saul falls asleep. His men around him fall asleep. Saul is sleeping and he has his spear in the ground right where he's sleeping. And David comes up uh, beside him and he's with a man named Abishai. And Abishai says to David, look, this is your chance. God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Just let me let me kill him right now. Notice what David says in 1 Samuel 26, 9. David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So in these early experiences in David's life, he modeled basically what he wrote in 1 Samuel or or what he wrote in Psalm 131. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, in his book Christ, Play, uh, Christ Plays in Ten Thousand Places, Eugene Peterson recounts the story of the fourth-century church father uh, Gregory, Gregory of Nyssa, whose brother Basil had arranged for him to be made bishop of Cappadocia, but Gregory objected, and Peterson writes. He didn't want to be stuck in such an out-of-the-way place. His brother told him he didn't want Gregory to abstain, uh, uh, obtain distinction from his church, but to confer distinction upon it. And John Kessler was writing a blog about this, and he said, Is that not what Christ wants for us as well? To lower our sights and put away our lasso? To seek the good of the small places in which he has placed us and to confer distinction upon them by serving with humility there. The path to glory is often an obscure one. It is the way of the cross. So to have a quiet heart, we need humility. We need humility. Secondly, having a quiet heart involves Deliberately choosing to rest in the Lord, making a deliberate choice that I am going to rest in the Lord. David said, I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child 
with its mother like a weaned child, I am content. This is a choice that David made. David made the choice to calm himself, to quiet himself. Now, I want you to listen to this quote before I tell you who said it, okay, or when they said it. There's hardly ever a complete silence in our soul. God is whispering to us well nigh incessantly. Whenever the sounds of the world die out in the soul or sink low, then we hear these whisperings of God. He is always whispering to us, only we do not always hear because of the noise, hurry, and distraction which life causes as it rushes on. The noise, hurry, and distraction with life causes as it rushes on. Sounds pretty modern, doesn't it? Sounds pretty recent. Well, actually, it was said by a man who lived in the 1800s, Frederick Faber. I've calmed and quieted myself. Now, verse 2 implies that this is a process, that it didn't happen overnight. Maybe that it was hard for David. Maybe it wasn't natural for David to, to have a calm soul. Uh, it, it implies process. I've, it implies choice. And I think of what the Apostle Paul said in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4. He talked about all the different things he had experienced, the different ways things were great in his life and poor. He said, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How did he learn that? He gives us the answer in verse 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's Christ. To quote Spurgeon again, we are clamorous, uneasy, and petulant, and nothing but grace can make us quiet under afflictions, irritations, and disappointments. This is not, we're not saying, pull up yourself by your bootstraps and be quiet in your soul. We're saying, depend on Christ, the living Christ, to give you what you need for this circumstance, for this moment, for this season in your life. Learn through Him to be strengthened. David chose to calm and quiet himself. Now, I think, well, I know this is talking about quietness in the soul. This is a talking about contentment. It's not really talking about physical quiet, but just a couple practical notes. One practical note, it's really hard to be quiet in your soul if there's never quiet in your life. If you live a life of noise and hurry and activity, it's really hard to be quiet in your soul. Now, here's another practical note. I know 
For some of you at your stage of life, it's really hard (laughs) to find that. And so if I just want to urge, if you're married to someone that it's very hard for them because of the stage of life to find any peace and quiet, I want to encourage you to come along beside them and minister to them and give them seasons and times and opportunities for rest and quietness and not necessarily to go do tasks, (laughs) but we help each other in this way, right? Again, this psalm is not talking about being physically quiet, but being quiet in our souls. But I wanted to throw that in there. Now back to Psalm 131 verse 2, as we deliberately choose to rest in the Lord, David says, I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Babies and infants are precious, aren't they? I mean, they are just precious most of the time. (laughs) As having three babies and infants a minute ago and now having a few grandchildren, when that baby who's nursing gets hungry... Everybody in the house and the next house and down the block knows about it, right? Now, here's a picture. A child who needs his mother's milk, her mother's milk, that child gets very discontent very quickly, right? And they let everybody know it. They get agitated. It's like the end of the world has come. Look what David says. I'm not like that kind of child. I'm not like a child that's nursing. I am like a child that's weaned. So in other words, they're old enough now not to be nursing and they're, they're calmer. That same thing does. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. I, here's a picture. I, I love this picture right there. That's kind of a picture of contentment, isn't it? That child, just, boy, I'm just going to lay myself on my mom's chest. Not going to ask anything right now. Not going to fret. Not going to worry. That that is contentment. And I think David had a picture like that in his mind when he said, I'm like a weaned child. That leads naturally into the second question I told you I was going to ask, and that is, what's the result of having a quiet heart? So what's required is we we have to have humility and we have to make a deliberate choice to rest in the Lord. What happens? The answer is contentment. That's the result. When we rest in the Lord... We're, we're like a weaned child with its mother. That weaned child is not looking to the mother at that moment to meet her immediate needs of hunger. She's just free to rest in her mother's arms. And I think that's the way it is spiritually. I think if we can conceive of God as represented by the mother and us as represented by the weaned child, when we rest in the Lord, when we're calm and when we quiet ourselves, 
We stop thinking about everything we need from God. And we stop thinking about just God meeting our needs. And we, we just enjoy God. We just enjoy Him. We just rest in His presence. It's almost as if God Himself becomes more important to us than the gifts we want Him to give us. And even if we don't have everything we thought we needed, we know and we rest in the one that cares for us. So now do you see why I said this is a journey? (laughs) It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen automatically. This is, this is part of our, our growth in Christ. For those who are believers in Christ, it is a process to grow towards this. Well, now, at this stage in the psalm, there's a change of direction. David has been talking about his own journey. He's been talking about his own contentment, his own satisfaction in God. And now he turns in verse 3 to his people, Israel, and he urges them to experience as a nation, as a people, what he has experienced personally. Verse 3, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Now, some scholars think this psalm was written after the exile. What do I mean by that? Well, the nation of Israel was taken into exile. They were taken into captivity two different times, Babylon and and, and Assyria. And so they were out of their land. They were prisoners of war, so to speak. They were out of their land. They were exiled And then if this psalm indeed was written after the period of captivity, it could have been a word for those who were coming back to their land. They would have been excited. Now they're free. Now they have their own land. Now there's going to be freedom to to eat what they want to eat and live in their own houses, unlike what they had when they were in captivity. And they might have been very excited about that possibility. And they might have been thinking about only the externals. And if so... This psalm would have said to them, don't think only about the externals. Rest in God. Make sure your soul is quiet, your heart is quiet, that you are content in God, and that your satisfaction in life doesn't depend on everything being perfect. In short, don't long for the world, but hope in the Lord. So I would say, no matter what struggles you face now or are going to face Israel and church, (laughs) trust in the Lord who can handle them, just like a child trusts in her mother. Here's God's word for us this morning. We were talking about a journey to a quiet heart. The journey to a quiet heart starts with humility And leads to trust. We see it in the psalm. Maybe your heart isn't quiet today. Maybe there's not complete contentment today. Maybe you're anxious. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're striving. Maybe you're trying to get ahead so hard. Maybe there's not a quiet heart. 
Do you want a quiet heart? It starts with humility and it leads to trusting in God. The New Testament agrees with this. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God, he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. And then skipping down to verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, I said I was only going to ask two questions. Well, I didn't say I was only going to ask two questions. I said I was going to ask two questions. Let me actually ask a third question, and that is this. Do we have a model of a quiet heart? Do we have somebody that we can look to and say, oh, they have a quiet heart? And some of you might think, oh, well, you you said David was a model, and I guess I want to say no. (laughs) He's not our ultimate model. There were times in his life when he did model this, and we're thankful for those, and I, I talked about those. Unfortunately, as David got older, there were times in his life where he didn't model this and he took things that didn't belong to him like another man's wife and saw that her husband was put on the front lines of the army so he would be destroyed and David would not be found out. So we can't point to David as being the perfect model, but the good news is there is a perfect model and his name is Jesus The Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect model of a quiet heart. He said in John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And do you remember when he was arrested? Remember when he was betrayed and they were in the Garden of Gethsemane? Judas had gone out to betray him for pieces of silver. And he was with his followers and and the the soldiers came to arrest him. And he knew all of that was coming. He was in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. And in Matthew 26, going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. I'm, I'm, I'm content in you, Father, to do your will. I know this is going to be painful. I know this is going to be sorrowful. I would like for it to pass. But nevertheless, your will be done. This same Jesus said to early followers, and he says through the Holy Spirit to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the model of gentleness. He is the model of humility. And he offers you and me to rest If we come to him, indeed, the journey to a quiet heart starts with humility and leads to trust. So let me ask you, are you facing a challenging situation today? Is your heart anxious? Are you striving to win and compete all the time? Do you struggle with contentment in life? 
If any of these things are true, I urge you to be open to the Lord today. I urge you to trust the Lord today. I urge you to come to Him today. I urge you to tell Him, I want that quiet heart and I don't have it yet. And that can be part of the process. Got a little shout out to my community group for this last little tidbit. We we go through the same passages in our group that we're doing on Sunday. And so Friday night we were talking about it and the leader asked the question, why should we trust the Lord? We're called to hope in the Lord. Why should we trust the Lord? And the answer came through loud and clear. A big part of it is because of who he is. A big part of it is because he is worthy to be trusted. He is the Lord. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And when we're called to hope in the Lord now and forevermore, we remember the psalm that we looked at last week, Psalm 121, that says the Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. That's why we trust the Lord. Well, let me close with, with this. And then I'm going to ask you to actually, I'm going to give you an opportunity to write your own psalm for a quiet heart. Larry Crabb is a psychologist, Christian psychologist, and he wrote a book called The Pressure's Off. And he told a story about when he was three years old, he thought he was a big boy, and he thought he could, he could go to the bathroom by himself. So he climbed the stairs goes to the second floor, goes into the bathroom, locks the door, uses the bathroom, getting ready to go out, but he cannot unlock the door. He was able to get in the door and lock it, but he can't get it out. And so he's stuck and he said, I was afraid I might spend the rest of my life in that bathroom. And he started screaming, help, help, help. And his mother was like, are you okay? Are you okay? You know, she's, the door's locked. Are you okay? If you hit your heads, everything. And, and yeah, I'm okay. I can't get out. And he didn't know at the time that his, his father had gone outside. There was no way for them to get in the door. So his father get, goes in the garage, gets the ladder, leans it up against the house, climbs up to the bathroom window, comes in the window, goes over to the door, unlocks the door, and Larry just runs out through the door to play. Listen to what he says about that. That's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can to free myself. And when I can't, I should pray. Then God shows up. He hears my cry, get me out of here, I want to play. And he unlocks the door to the blessings I desire. Sometimes he does. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, at the time he wrote this, I'm realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us content with God? Do we even like him? When he doesn't open the door we most want opened? When a marriage doesn't heal? When rebellious kids still rebel? When friends betray? When financial reverses threaten our comfortable way of life? When 
The prospect of terrorism looms when health worsens despite much prayer, when loneliness intensifies and depression deepens, when ministries die. God has climbed through the small window into my dark room, but he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, and this is Crab speaking, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, unlock the door. And he concludes, dear friend, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy, to escape our dark room and run to the playground of blessings, or we can accept his invitation to sit with him for now, perhaps, in darkness, and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him well in this difficult world. I think that's a a picture of a quiet heart, being willing to sit with God, right? The journey to a quiet heart starts with humility. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.